Hey everyone, welcome back to Studs and Duds Sports. I'm back with the Bishop of Baseball, Dennis Bishop. Dennis, how are you doing this week? Oh, very well, Adam, especially after uh, a great Dodgers-Padres series. And the Mets actually taking two of three in Colorado after all those uh, rain, snow, sleet delays, what have you. Yeah, that's uh, the, the weather delays out there definitely turned into a problem for the Mets, but they luckily took two out of three out there. That Dodgers-Padres series, I think, lived up to the billing that we talked about last week for sure. Absolutely. Ab- absolutely. I was even talking to a friend where it's the first it's the first time that I've seen the new uh, extra innings rules, and I actually kind of liked it just because that game was back and forth just – just trading punches like a heavyweight fight the uh, the entire game, and it kind of it kind of kept you from having any chance to come down from that in the extra innings. You know, it wasn't a case of 15, 16 innings where no one reaches base. Um, so it was the first time I actually enjoyed it. The only problem is most baseball games are not played like uh, like Rocky Balboa versus Ivan Drago in Siberia. So. Uh, it's a rather, uh, you know, I think it's a rare thing that I'll enjoy that rule, but I did think it helped enhance it this time around. Right. And we'll talk about both of those teams a little bit later on too, as we're going to get round to this upcoming weekend, but let's dive into, uh, our stock up and stock down guys I'm gonna kick us off in the American league East Vlad Guerrero jr. Finally tearing it up this season or having a good week. He had two homers, a couple RBIs, a couple of doubles, and it's hitting 400 this week. Is this the breakout we were kind of expecting from him? Yeah, this is this is the Vlad we want to see. Um, he's just he's hitting pitches just uh, wherever he is. You know, so far in the small sample size, day nights not bothering him, home away's not bothering him, uh, righties lefties not bothering him. He's just crunching everything. Um, he's he is uh, he is uh, basically cutting down that chase rate. We talked about that with guys like Acuna and Buxton last week. He's cutting down that chase rate, which has probably been the a thing that's allowed him to keep his head above water while changing more of that swing because you do see the enhanced number of fly balls to ground balls that he's been working on. So as long as he's able to make sure he hones that zone in like he's doing, uh, it's going to give him that extra room for air because uh, there's a little bit more swing and miss. He's swinging hard. He's swinging uppercut. But he's owning the zone and it's not burning him. So I think that this is what you can expect from him. I think he's doing everything right. Um, I'm ready to start stashing him into that, that, you know, perennial MVP potential kind of guy. All right. And before we move on to the next guy, it's funny you bring up the um, chase rates that we talked about last week with Acuna and Buxton. Um, (laughs) Did you see a familiar article about that on MLB.com this week? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, I did. I, I promise you, I did not write it. Uh, I, I do not moonlight for ESPN. Literally everything that we that Dennis talked about last week on our Monday podcast was on an MLB article by one of their professional writers on Wednesday afternoon. So <laughs> I think we broke the news and they just followed up on it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. In in uh, you know, in hindsight, I guess when we talk about guys as talented as Ronald Lacuna, you have a, a chance of being right more times than not, I tell you. <laughs> this is true. All right, let's move on to a couple of guys. Uh the, the NL Central was or the AL Central, I'm sorry, wasn't uh super productive this week. I mean there were guys that you know kind of doing what we expected, but 
nobody that was really, you know, blasting the cover off the baseball. So I skipped them this week, but I got two guys in the West. Uh, first, let's start with Mitch Hanniger for Seattle and the surprising Mariners uh, start to the season. They're kind of, uh, I mean, it's small sample size, obviously it's early in the season, but you know, they're, they're holding their own out there. Uh, Mitch Hanniger this week, 429, two homers, couple eight RBIs, uh, a couple of doubles, a triple. Uh, where do you see Mitch Hanniger going this season? Well, so far on the the, uh, the young season, I think is his overall for the entire season is 988. Got picked up a little bit by that uh, that super hot week you're talking about. Uh, I don't think he's going to be sitting in the 988s, uh, but I think he'll be somewhere around the the mid eight to nine OPSs. This nothing he's really doing is uh, is all that uh, Hanniger like, um, except for being healthy. It's been a long string of core injuries that's really affected him. And, you know, you look across his peripherals, very similar to stuff he's always done. Um, you know, he's not, he's not tearing the cover off the ball. His exit velocities are right around where they've been for his career. He's just swinging nice and easy. Um, he will have to get back to, to taking some more walks, but I think, uh, I think he honestly might just be happy uh, to be swinging a bat clean again. Uh, you know, he might just be uber aggressive right now. Uh, due to the fact that he feels good for the first time in multiple years. So I'm expecting him to uh, basically get back to uh, get back to the uh, on the, the verge of all-star. He has an all-star uh, appearance to his uh, credit already. I think he can get back to that, uh, that guy that hits the occasional all-star game. I think this is uh, I think this is a hold. All right. And then, Last guy, uh, he's he's one of the stars in Oakland for the A's, Matt Chapman. He started out the season kind of rough. His average this week still wasn't great. It was 280, but he had a 1053 OPS. He had two triples for the week, a couple of homers uh, and a double as well. Is uh, this Matt Chapman kind of finally waking up? I'm not sold yet. Um, something something happened over the last uh, – this, this, this early season and then last year's partial season where he went from a guy who uh, had worked very hard on keeping the strikeout numbers respectable. Um, this is a guy who, you know, after his first partial cup of coffee in the big leagues, you know, I was telling A's fans that, you know, if, uh, if this guy can just put the bat on the ball, when you mix that defense with that raw power, I mean, this, this is Mike Schmidt. Um, that's, that's hefty, hefty praise. But he plays defense like Arenado and hits like Rendon. Um, but then all of a sudden in the last couple of years, he struggled to get that timing down and he's just, he's just been off and the strikeouts, even this week, I think he had the last uh, seven games. Uh, I think he still struck out 12 times and only walked once um, last year. What really tanked his numbers were the fact that alongside the strikeouts, he wasn't walking anymore um, this year. Overall, they're, they're, they're back up to career norms, but, it makes me worry that this week, uh, this hot streak was met by the same problems he showed last year. Uh, I'm not sold yet. I think, uh, I think there's still mechanical issues that he's going through that somehow got pushed out of whack. Um, so we'll, we'll see what he does over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm, I'm not buying yet. All right. Moving on to the national league and a guy that did quite a bit of damage this week against my beloved Atlanta Braves um, jazz Chisholm. We talked about him in Miami when we did our primer as one of the top prospects in their system. We thought maybe it'd be too early for him to start the season with there. 
Uh, this week he hit 450, had a couple of homers, a couple of doubles, uh, 1410 OPS for him this week. Is this a guy that you're buying on at this point? I think you got to buy him just based on the raw tools at this point. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to keep this up. If he does, this is basically the uh, East Coast version of Fernando Tatis when you mix the the speed and bat speed combination. Uh, I don't think he's quite there. That said, uh, he made an interesting adjustment where last year, uh, knowing that his weakness was being able to put the bat on the ball uh, and therefore not being able to tap into those, uh, those plus tools uh, across the board. You know, usually you see guys with that kind of talent and they have to dial back to it so that they can tap into it. It seems like this year so far, he's come up with such a complete confidence rush that he's just hell bent for leather and he's just swinging like he, he owns the pitcher. And so far it's working. Uh, I'm not sure how, to what extent that's going to continue before they adjust to him and he's going to have to readjust, but the tools are definitely there. Um, he's definitely playing with confidence. Uh, yeah, I think you have to buy him just because the, the high ceiling also is going to end up giving you a high floor. All right. Yeah. Obviously it's, they see one of the top prospects in baseball uh, producing as one of the top prospects in baseball. Absolutely. Um, let's move on to something that's maybe not quite a prospect. Well, definitely not a prospect anymore. Wilson Contreras, the first catcher we're going to talk about this year for the Cubs. Had hey, a, go catchers. Right. <laughs> catchers are people too. <laughs> uh, Wilson Contreras, four homers for the week, five RBIs, so a lot of solo jobs there. But he hit 368 and a 1455 OPS for the week. Uh, is Wilson Contreras one of the catchers you're buying for the season? Yeah, I always buy Wilson Contreras. Um, this is this is one of those cases where to me this is this is less about a a buy, sell, a stock up, stock down, and just more of a guy that I, I enjoy seeing do well because he was one of those old school type prospects where uh, his his metrics they weren't they weren't huge as a prospect. He had to he did it quickly, but he had to work his way up the hierarchy uh, in the Cubs system because he didn't have a lightning fast bat. He didn't have huge size. He wasn't an incredible athlete. He was just a good strong defensive catcher. Uh, who could hit the ball and you know that's what he he's done and it's been good enough to where he has been in the the JT Real Muto uh, uh, Yasmani Grandal level of offense Uh, it seems like that's a little light because he came off so so schooled and so uh, you know so polished uh, as a young player that we kind of expected him to just be that posy type of guy that's leading the the league in offense from a catcher that basically Will Smith is is basically uh, becoming. Uh, Contreras didn't do that, but very solid player. Um, you know, I think this is this is who he is. Um, it won't be this thunderous where you're getting four home runs a week, but it's uh, it's a strong it's a strong across the board tool set, and uh, you know, hopefully he'll continue to ride that wave as the the Cubs bats continue to heat up the way they've been the last few days. Yeah. Uh, Rizzo and Bryant have obviously found their power stroke as well. And they've started to heat up. Yeah. That's going to be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We talked about a couple of those guys being stocked down. It looks like they're starting to heat up as well. Uh, not somebody that's starting to heat up, but someone that continues to be hot for the Dodgers out West. Uh, Justin Turner 
the big third baseman out there, three homers, seven RBIs for the week, and leading the National League in the past seven days in OPS at 1472. Uh, is this Justin Turner being Justin Turner at this point? Yeah. Um, these are very loud numbers. Uh, yeah, I think the, the biggest surprise is that he just continues to to put up these kind of stat lines, uh, these kinds of stat lines, despite the aging process. Um, you know, we talked about how Wilson Contreras wasn't someone who was going to light up the, the, the swing metrics data with his, uh, his emergence up the prospect ladder. And even at, you know, currently as a, as a pro, uh, that's very similar to Justin Turner. It's one of the reasons the Mets gave up on him, uh, way back when he, it's very, it's very Bregman like where he's not going to hammer the ball 450 feet, but he doesn't chase. He doesn't swing and miss. He puts the bat on the ball in the zone, but when he does, he does it with a short, powerful stroke that uh, does enough damage to get the ball out of the yard or at least uh, deep to the gaps without having uh, a lightning bat or huge exit velocities. So, you know, while it's not going to be quite this high, this is still Justin Turner doing Justin Turner things. All right, let's move on to our stock down guys in the American League. Um, (laughs) For the Bronx Bombers, Gio Urshela. Uh, the third baseman for the Yankees hit 143 this week, a 408 OPS. Uh, is this a reason for concern? Uh, well, I guess that depends on the, your point of view on Gio Urshela. Um, you know, Gio's not a perennial all-star. You know, he's not the typical Yankee pinstripes kind of guy. Uh, he was a, a pickup kind of under the radar after he just couldn't really, couldn't really reach his potential with the Indians. Um, you know, then he really kind of started to flip the switch and, you know, it's, he was already coming out of it a little bit, uh, in the last seven games total, uh, maybe, maybe that's front load a little bit why it's not in, you know, reflecting your numbers, but he's got like a 783 OPS over the last seven games, whereas his season totals are sitting at like 656. So he's slowly coming out of it. Um, he's going to get playing time because the Yankees are a dumpster fire as far as defense goes right now. So, you know, it's an average to above average glove at third base. They're going to need that. He's not going to lose much playing time, if any. Um, so he'll get his opportunities. I think he'll be all right. I don't think there's a whole lot out of the ordinary he's doing. He just missed some time to start the year. So he might be just settling in. All right. Moving over to the central, Jonathan Shoup. Um, I know he came over from Baltimore at one point, and now he's in Detroit. Had a 136 average this week, 303 OPS. Uh, is there a reason to concern for him? Uh, I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's got the bad body type, um, the kind of guy that ages a little quickly. Uh, we talked about uh, kind of a shortstop version of him uh, in Freddie Galvis last week, and it's kind of similar. It, it's a guy that uh, had some pop. At one point, he was a, a premium prospect. In fact, some trendy writers were we're making the claims that he was actually better than uh, Machado when they were both 19 year olds in the Baltimore system Uh, that clearly never panned out uh, and was unlikely to, to be the case, even when those words were fresh out fresh off the presses. Um, But he's, uh, you know, been a a guy that's given you some solid thump while being an above average uh, second baseman. Uh, But, you know, he's not the guy that, yeah, I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy that ages well Uh, add to that. He's got a similar issue where playing in Detroit, where the, the bad ball data, it's not really, it's not trending downward hard, 
Uh, it's more of he's swinging, he's swinging and missing a lot more than he did throughout the majority of his career. I wonder if it's similar to a Miguel Cabrera situation of you've got a veteran uh, on a young rebuilding team that's just struggling to stay focused because of the situation around him. So he might get some second half life with another club if he uh, can become a bench player with a, a first tier team. But I don't think you're going to be seeing much more than uh, small runs of uh, of hot streaks, basically, for him going forward. You know, it, it, it'll be a slow decline, but I don't really think his uh, best days are ahead of him. All right. And the uh, last stock down guy in the American League, Kyle Seeger, third baseman in Seattle, 167 this week, 472 OPS, a um, couple of doubles this week, but nothing else of note really for him. Uh, is this a guy that we should buy low on at this point in the season, or is there reason to concern here? I think this is a guy to kind of keep an eye on. I think this is a guy, if you want to look for someone on the cheap, it might be a, a, an interesting pickup because he's someone who he's, he's very quietly and under the radar. Uh, he's in his walk year. Uh, Seattle doesn't have much interest in retaining him unless he's going to take, uh, you know, a minimum base type of deal, which obviously he's trying to avoid. So it's a walk year. He wants to perform. Uh, he's been tinkering with becoming a more modern hitter. You're seeing the, the fly ball rates go up. Uh, you're seeing him swing a little bit harder. So I think there's an adjustment period going on. And he's always been a guy that's, uh, you know, not to a ridiculous uh, split, but he's always enjoyed playing away from his home park. And uh, if you look at his numbers, I believe he's sitting around a, a 1,000 OPS in away games this year uh, versus playing at home. So a lot of these things aren't really crazy. You know, I'm more concerned with the fact that he started last year uh, like an absolute house on fire and then cooled off significantly for the second half of the short season. So we'll kind of see if, if he's got that ability to do that over a long term. Uh, but I think he's going to be uh, an average to above average regular when all said and done. All right. Uh, let's go to our stock down guys for the national league. Starting with the East, Josh Bell for the Nationals. A 100 average, so we get 358 OPS. Um, is this a panic time in Washington at first base? No, I don't think so. Uh, it's uh, perhaps uh, situationally. You know, we, we talked about uh, no DH this year and it being a tough draw to have Kyle Schwarber playing an outfield corner while also having Josh Bell uh at, at first base, you're talking about two distinct defensive downgrades, but on an individual basis, uh, Josh Bell, he's, he hasn't played many games. I think it's only like six. So too early to draw any conclusions. Uh, you know, he's going to, he's going to swing. He's going to hit the ball hard. Um, but I think most concerning is that he continues to be a slightly above average ground ball hitter. And he's got some of the worst foot speed for a guy his age uh, in the game. So the athleticism could cause some real problems, not just on defense, but uh, as far as him being a pure 300 plus hitter that he was originally uh, looking to be, uh, I don't think that's going to happen because he's not going to get uh, enough infield singles to do so. Um, but he can still hit the ball. He can still hit fastballs. I'm not too worried about him. He'll bounce back. All right, let's move on to the Central. And I know we talked about some of the Cubs starting to heat up. Uh, one of them is not Jock Peterson. I know we talked about him slightly last week. He's one of those guys that got out of the Dodgers system and finally got to be an everyday player. 
He's sitting 167 in the past week, a 678 OPS, and not a whole lot of extra base hits. Is this uh, one of the reasons the Dodgers were content letting him leave? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's definitely the case. Uh, too early, too early to completely close the book on it. You know, he he signed there. I'm sure they had discussions about uh, about him being an everyday player, and I'm sure the the team committed uh, some sort of verbal agreement uh, to him doing so for his uh, his one year deal there. Uh, but this is this is terrible, terrible. His swings against left handed pitchers right now. It's a 220 OPS. That's not batting average. That's not on base. That's the whole kit and caboodle, a 220 OPS. So it's been awful. Uh, if the, the Cubs start uh, waking up offensively and actually do start to push the envelope a little bit, that's where you're going to see him play few and fewer games against lefties because they just can't they, – they can't have another pitcher essentially hitting uh, just, just because – so, so I'm going to, I'm going to sell him. He's still got a little bit of time to, to get out of it. But right now you're looking at him going back to being a, a platoon player. All right. And then the last stock down guy we have for the national league is going to be Nick Ahmed, the shortstop in Arizona. I think we talked about him as a stock up guy early in the season. He hit all 45 this week in a 132 OPS. I feel like uh, he has definitely bottomed out this week. Yeah, I think I don't think we talked him as a stock up. I think we more talked about him as a uh, when we were discussing the down on the farm with uh, Geraldo Perdomo uh, getting the call up when he went on the the injured list. Uh, he's never he's never been a hitter um, for a while there. He was able to put the bat on the ball and some good things happened when he would have a, a year where he had some good uh, uh, balls in play luck. Uh, but overall, it's he's never hit with authority. And right now, uh upon his return from the, the injured list, he's basically, you know, he, he's hitting uh, with exit velocities in the low eighties. That's completely replaceable. Uh, you know, he, he's out there for defense, um, which, which is kind of where the Dimebacks will decide where they are. As we get a few more weeks into the season, start uh, to really chart your course. Like we discussed Perdomo, you know, hopefully he has a nice little start to the, the minor league season. So he'll be knocking on the door. Um, and when they feel he's ready, I think he'll slide right in. And Ahmed, it's either he's a bottom tier starter that you can rely on for defense to try to help out your young pitching, uh, or he's a utility player for a top tier team uh, where you need defensive specialists to come in off the bench. But uh, there's make no mistake, there there's no pipe dreams about his uh, his bat really waking up to any major extent other than the occasional hot streak. All right, and that's going to wrap us up for our stock up and stock down players for the week. Uh, I'm going to bring in a new segment this week because it's hard to do stock up and stock down on pitchers with a very small sample size on a weekly basis. They're getting one, maybe two starts. So we're going to bring in the pitching corner this week. And uh, Dennis, you've got a couple of guys that you want to talk about this week. Let's start out with Steven Strasburg. It looks like he landed on the injury list this week. Yes, sir. Uh, this was uh, kind of the icing on the cake for for Strasburg's uh, tumultuous spring of uh, first being down with a calf issue. The, uh, they always ramp him up slowly because of the injury history anyway. Uh, and then he had the decent outing, that first outing. You thought, oh, wow, you know, maybe he maybe he is just slow rolling it, doing the old the old Jim Brown pretending you're hurt so you can get up as slowly as possible before the next play on the football field. 
Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, his last start, uh, he's throwing 90 miles an hour. He's yanking pitches. Uh, he just looks like an old man out there. Uh, and that's difficult to say because I was, you know, I was tied to him during his college days. So, you know, when, when he busted in, when he was, uh, when he was uh, an amateur in college, not even, a, you know, his sophomore year probably, he was doing things that, uh, that only one or two guys at the very top of their profession right now, after about 15 years of further development uh, and evolution of the game, can do right now. I mean, he was sitting 100 miles an hour, uh, able to break your kneecaps with curveballs, uh, and then all of a sudden, he doesn't need a changeup in college. He shows up to the Arizona Fall League to get some work in after getting drafted, and lo and behold, he's got a plus-plus changeup that he just basically pulls out of his back pocket. Uh, so this is very difficult to see, especially when you see guys like Kershaw, who we'll talk about in a second. You see guys like Kershaw, uh, that as they're getting older, you see Rodon's, uh, or Rondon's, uh, uh, no hit bid, uh, the other night, the, the perfect bid bid the for perfect game bid that he just missed out on did and took the no hitter on like these guys who aren't much older, uh, but are in great shape and you've got Strasburg kind of creaking from every joint. So it's looking like a terrible contract, uh, maybe, maybe the worst in the game by the time all is said and done, but it's not a good start right now. And Washington's going to be hamstrung by his and Corbin's deals. Uh, if something miraculous doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about Patrick Corbin since uh, they might be handcuffed on his deal as well. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, this is a situation where, uh, you know, lefty pitchers are always kind of, I, I don't like it. I don't like when lefties, uh, you look at velocities and you say that's above average for a lefty. Uh, Cause I think this is kind of what happens. A guy gets into the second half of his career and if he doesn't have the sparkling command uh, and finesse to go with that pitch, uh, you know, hitters don't really care if it's coming from a right-handed pitcher, left-handed pitcher. If you're throwing 91, 92, uh, when you made your hay off of uh, mid nineties and a slider that they just couldn't time up because they had to wait for 94, 95, uh, it becomes very difficult to recreate yourself. And that's where Corbin is right now. He just, nothing about him looks like the guy that the nationals uh, signed for the big money. All right, let's move on to another guy that just hit the injured list recently and actually started out the season pretty well. Um, Lance Lynn for the white Sox. He hit the injured list. He started out the season. Well, he had a uh, 0.92 ERA 0.92 whip only allowed him a batting average of 213 against them. That's a pretty solid number to start the season to go along with the 27 Ks and just two walks. Uh, is this going to be a big loss for the White Sox? Oh, ab absolutely. Uh, you know, hopefully he comes back uh, totally fine because he had been he had been amazing. And frankly, the way that Keuchel has started off the year, they have absolutely needed it. Um, it's kind of funny that Keuchel kind of became known as the the epitome of the the innings eating pitch to contact guy. Uh, in modern, in modern baseball, where you just don't see that many of them, uh, then Lance Lynn comes along and after an up and down career with injuries and stuff in St. Louis, uh, you know, he really, he really grabbed the reins in Texas and they're getting, they're getting the best version of Lance Lynn there's ever been right now. So it's a shame that he's hurt. Uh, hopefully he comes back quickly because he's, uh, quickly become a, a big focal point to that entire team. 
Uh, and kind of funny that uh, another guy, uh, Dane Dunning, the guy that he was involved in that trade, uh, he's a guy that uh, that's doing very well for the Tigers right or the the Rangers right now. Uh, he had a very strong start this weekend. Uh, another uh, pitch to contact, get the ground balls kind of guy, but uh, he is really uh, he's really improved the a changeup. So he went from a sinker slider pitcher to now offering three legitimate offerings. Uh, and he's the kind of guy that's just going to love pitching in that giant park in Texas. So, uh, you know, as far as that trade goes right now, it looks like winners all around. Is uh, Dane Dunn one of the younger pitchers that you're buying right now? Yeah, uh, I was not super high on him. He was uh, he came out of the uh, the the baseball machine that is the University of Florida a few years back. Uh, he was one of those guys that uh, they do such a good job of recruiting. Uh, he was drafted as a starting pitcher when they didn't have room for him on the starting pitching roster. Um, so he kind of was a, a developmental starter. And, you know, this, like I said, the stuff, uh, the stuff was a little light. Uh, it's, it's not what teams are looking for in high rated prospects uh, in this day and age, but, uh, when he really kind of has been flashing that change up, it kind of changes things because now he's got two, two pitches. He's getting swing and misses on while also, uh, a fastball that uh, is not only a sinker and creating ground balls, but he's got enough command of it to where he's also able to get it up in the zone and get fly balls. And while a lot of pitchers want to stay away from that, uh, playing in that large park, if you're putting it in the air or you're putting it on the ground you're going to be pretty safe. It's the line drives you want to watch out for in those big parks. And right now he's keeping, he's keeping everything either high or right on the floor. That's uh, it's always good to when you're giving up contact to not give up solid contact as a pitcher. Uh, let's move on to another guy that hasn't given up much solid contact at all this season. Tyler glass now for Tampa Bay. He's top five in ERA for the season. He has an 065 whip. He's got 36 Ks, seven walks, and he's only allowing his batters against him to hit 108. Uh, is this guy really coming into his own this year? Yeah, this is uh, this is the Rays' next uh, Cy Young candidate. They're 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 uh, they're they're next in line of developmental pets. Uh, he's they've they've gotten him to be able to throw strikes, which was huge in the first place. Um, but they've got him around the plate. Uh, they've got him throwing hard, even harder. Uh, now he's gotten the average fastball up above 97. So he's one of the hardest guys as far as velocity, but he also comes from a straight over the top angle. So the ball just buries in, uh, at six foot seven. Uh, he doesn't need much help to get a high release point, but he, he, he does it naturally. So, uh, he's got that working for him. He's always had one of the best raw curveballs in the entire game. Uh, the last, the last two partial seasons, uh, both, both years, he's getting, uh, you know, swing and misses on over 50% of the ones he throws at that guys offer at. So that's a huge number. If you're in the thirties, it's a solid swing and miss pitch. If you're in the forties, now you're talking a wipeout pitch. If you're up in the fifties, it's absolutely elite. And, uh, you know, while the sample size has been kind of small the last two years, it's still, it's still top notch. So he's got those two things working for him. And then ho-hum, they all of a sudden to have him dust off a slider that he put in his back pocket about four or five years ago when his development started to stall because he was struggling to throw strikes. So now that's back. So, so I don't, I don't see anything but injuries really 
derailing him. He might have the occasional game where uh, uh, he loses complete, com- you know, complete coverage of the strike zone. But I think he's going to be so good in other, his other starts that it's not really going to matter. I think he can be a perennial Cy Young uh, contender. All right. Who are some of the other pitchers that we should keep an eye on uh, starting this week? Uh, two guys in the central that I'm really uh, interested in watching more of. Uh, two young guys, Brady Singer and Tristan McKenzie. Uh, they, they both can be quite enigmatic. Uh, Singer had a rough first game. He had a, uh, a more acceptable second game and then was pretty good today versus uh, Toronto. He's got, he, he came in as a, a highly ranked prospect. He also was part of that Florida rotation that was good enough to, to boot Dane Dunning to long relief uh, in their college years. Um, and it's just an, it's an odd, it's an odd mix because he's a straight up fastball slider pitcher, doesn't throw a curve, barely throws his changeup. Uh, and the pitches are firm, but they aren't electric. So this is, you know, he's a smart pitcher. Uh, he gets by on a lot of guts, uh, but I'm just curious to see what he can do with two pitches uh, that aren't exactly plus, maybe not even be you a know, plus, let alone plus plus. Uh, he has to, he lives in the strike zone, but it's a lot of, a lot of throwing, throwing strikes, not really being able to get guys to chase. That's what I was kind of watching for. And I think he started to do that. I think he started to nibble a little bit more successfully today. Um, so he's a big one where he could, he could really uh, sway a big, big way one side or the other, if he adds another wrinkle. Um, and Tristan McKenzie, his is, uh, his is less about uh, the actual ability to command his pitches and the quality of his pitches. It's that he's 165 pounds soaking wet as a six foot five uh, man child. Um, baby face. There's a lot of guys have compared him to doc Gooden from back in the day when his stuff is rested and on when he came up last year to have his, uh, his big league debut, he was throwing 96. He hasn't been able to, to really retain that right now. He's averaging about 92. Uh, he's able to make that work, but he's also throwing a lot of balls. So, uh, unlike singer, he has a well, he has a well-regarded uh, repertoire as far as the depth of it goes, but he's going to have to throw strikes because uh, he's going to have to become a finesse guy if he can't hold on the, the weight and get that fastball up to the 95-96 that he kind of teases us with. All right. Last guy we want to bring up was Corey Kluber for the Yankees this year. Uh, what do you make of Corey Kluber's season so far? Corey Kluber, uh, it's been a rough start to his Yankee career. I think this is one of those where you wonder how much of the the ink he got in the beginning of the year when he got signed in the offseason. You wonder how much of it was actually, uh, you know, legitimate praise and how much of it was uh, kind of hope. And I feel like the Yankees put a lot of hope in it. Uh, he, there's no way he should have ever been their number two starter. There's no way he should have been their number three if you want to take into account that someone was injured. Uh, you know, it's this was a back end try to eat up some innings, uh, especially as teams like the Rays are modernizing and throwing countless hundred mile an hour arms out of their bullpen at you. Um, he he's not that guy. He's he's got to settle in. He can't try to be be the guy anymore. It's not there. Um, so I think, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, 
uh, pitchforks and torches going on as far as the Yankees go right now. Um, and that, that whole situation has not helped because it really kind of set both him and the team up for failure to think that he could, you know, turn back the clock that extremely and be the one, two to go with uh, Garrett Cole. All right, that's going to wrap us up for their pitching corner. Let's talk about some matchups coming up this week that we're interested in seeing. Uh, I, for one, I think I'm going to keep an eye on the Jays and the Rays. It's kind of our first look at these two teams playing this year. Um, you know, a couple of contenders in the AL East. What, do you, what should we look for in this series? This one's interesting because of the fact that not only are they the same division, uh, they kind of have the same MO. They, they're incomplete right now. Uh, the Jays are a better team overall just because of the fact that they've, they've done very similar work, but the Jays are also missing. Uh, they're missing Teoscar right now. Um, they're missing Springer. Haven't gotten any, any time out of him yet because he went down before the season started with a, a quad and uh, what was it? Uh, it was a quad and, and something else. Kind of one injury led to another. Um, so he's not quite ready to go yet. Teoscar hit the COVID list. So they, they don't have two big bats that they were counting on. Uh, Bichette's kind of like laying in the weeds. He's having a good game here, good game there, but he hasn't locked in. Vlad's carrying him uh, to his credit. Uh, and then uh, Biggio's ice cold. Um, it's just that they, they are not on all cylinders offensively. Uh, the pitching has been great. I think you're going to see a balance there where as the hitters come back, you're going to see the regression by the pitchers. It'll be okay. It'll balance out a bit. Uh, the Rays, uh, the Rays are not as talented. I think, uh, I think there's something like top 10 ish in both ERA and OPS, uh, for their pitchers and hitters respectively. Uh, it's not a super talented roster outside of a couple big names. And we knew that going in, we knew it would be them trying to do a little quick reload while also still being competitive. Uh, what I think is interesting is that both teams, uh, have been fighting through their struggles. They're both a similar three and six ish range against everyone, but the Yankees. And they have taken out uh, all of their frustrations on the Yankees. Uh, that's why I think it's a very difficult race right now to judge because are the Yankees this bad or have they gotten the absolute best from the two fellow contenders in the division? Uh, uh, that's what, that's why I really like to see uh, what shakes out. I think the Rays will take this series because I don't see much of the injury issues changing for this upcoming series, but I think overall the Jays will be uh, a stronger team uh, when their batters, you know, their hitters get back. All right. Second matchup I'm probably going to be catching this week is the Astros and the Rockies, mostly because I think the Astros are just going to go, you know, bombs away out there in Colorado this week. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, I think when you look at uh, it, th this, this week was a much better pitching matchup than I think we expected uh, out of the Mets uh, Rockies matchup. Uh, you know, I think uh, honestly, more impressively, I would say for the Mets, just because uh, with all the cancellations that the Mets have dealt with, it's kind of, it kind of makes sense that their hitters don't have their timing yet. Um, the Rockies pitchers did fare well, uh, but I was more impressed by the fact that uh, DeGrom and Stroman really stole the show, uh, really, uh, really kind of set all those uh, stops and goes aside and were able to compete at an extremely high level. Uh, at Coors Field, even though, you know, in the cold, maybe you want to give uh, a little bit of credit due to the fact that uh, they didn't have 
a bunch of warm hitters to face in Colorado, but it's also not exactly fun going out there in 50 degree weather and trying to feel a baseball either. So take that with a grain of salt. Uh, I think the case of the Astros, I think you're going to see them come in. Their hitters aren't cold. They're, they're one of the top hitting teams in the AL right now. Um, you know, they're not going to have the, they're not going to have the delays uh, and the resets that the Mets had to deal with. And the only reason that they really, I think the only reason the Mets didn't sweep this series was because, uh, you know, Joey Lucchese had to get some work in. They used him as an opener. Uh, tr- you know, they wanted to get three or four innings from him because he hadn't worked in like 10 days. He gave up a three run first inning. Mets couldn't really catch up. Uh, I don't think the Astros are going to have that issue. I think they're going to steamroll them. All right. And the last matchup, and obviously it's the best one and the one we're going to talk about for quite a while, uh, is the Dodgers and the Padres round two. This time they're going to be in L.A. Uh, barring any COVID postponements, are you just going to be looking for more of the same that we saw this weekend? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think the cool thing about it going from San Diego to LA is that now the LA, you know, the LA fans will be able to kind of get their, uh, get their shot at being, at keeping pace with the absolute electric atmosphere that the Padres fans were able to keep throughout that series. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a great 19 games. Uh, they're off to a great start in that regard. Three out of three games were, were very, very good to great. Um, as far as predictions go, Anything can happen. Uh, I, I gave uh, I give San Diego credit because while I do not think they were well managed, I it's very difficult for me to believe that they were they were on the tipping point as far as their their bullpen went in game one when we're in the early double digits uh, of games played in a season. I don't think I don't think that they should be in the situation where they're running out of pitching uh, during the twelfth inning uh, of these uh, you know these COVID rule runner on second, uh, extra inning games. Uh, so I'm a little, I'm a little, uh, you know, squeamish on that. It kind of fits into the point where I said, where I think this is the Dodgers division for another year or two, based on the fact that they've got the depth and they've got the experience. I think that definitely played out in game one. Uh, I thought that honestly, that was going to hamstring the Padres. I thought it was going to get in their head, but they fought the entire series and were able to come out with, uh, with a win today. Uh, so yeah, so I, I expect it to can just be back and forth. I do think at the end of the year, the Dodgers will turn out to be, uh, the one standing, uh, on top of the division, but as you know, it would not shock me if San Diego went in, uh, and swept them. Uh, I don't think they will, but they've definitely got some of that grit that, uh, that I wasn't quite sure if they were going to have. And when one of them was Manny Machado, uh, the, the work he did late on, uh, you know, in the late game work he did where he was clearly hurting, uh, in the lower body, uh, and his back and not only stay in the game, but stole a base, took an extra base. Uh, you know, he was, he, he would not come out and he really led them to, to being able to play that extra inning game, uh, in game one. So, so it's going to be a great matchup. Hopefully everyone's healthy. Uh, I don't think we're going to see Bellinger for it, but we might. I don't know when he retroactively got put on the IL. Uh, hopefully Tatis, at the very least, uh, continues to stay healthy. Yeah, I think the the one unfair advantage I think I mentioned in game one is you have you know David Price, who's 
or was a phenomenal starting pitcher is just coming out of the bullpen for the Dodgers. No, that the guy's hitting sack flies in like the 13th inning. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah, the, yeah, the, no, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Padres on the other hand, they've got to put in uh, Jake Cronenworth, which to their credit against a lesser team, that's not a terrible move because this is a guy who was a two-way talent, I believe at Michigan um, during his uh, amateur days. Uh, so to, to their credit, they, you know, that, that is a decent move to, to really, uh, uh, isolate on a guy like that and develop him. And, and now you've got this, uh, you know, you've got an option. Uh, I, it's just not, that's not going to play against the Dodgers. That's not what's going to put you over the top against the Dodgers. And then having to put Joe Musgrove out into left field, uh, so you can re re, uh, align the defense as you put, uh, your second baseman onto the pitcher's mound. Um, yeah, that's a big difference when you can throw David Price, who, you know, he was probably ready to go four innings if need be, uh, which there's going to be less of that with the runner on second extra inning rule. So, but even if it is, they've got, they've got a, a seventh starter, if you will, capable of going out there and doing that if they need it. So, so I do think the Dodgers kind of showed their depth kind of showed, uh, what makes them just a notch above the Padres. Uh, and we'll see kind of if the Padres are able to make some moves uh, or to follow suit um, because they just, uh, you know, they, they played with, they played with, they played with passion. Uh, they played good baseball. You got uh, some, uh, some you know, home run out of Tatis, uh, got some good play out of Machado. Uh, it's not like a lot of things were missing in that series. Uh, I think that it might call into question how long you're going to wait to give Fernando a chance to get acclimated defensively again, because he had some, he had some bad plays again. So that's been a nonstop thing when he's been in the lineup. So I don't know how long of a leash he's got before they have to shake things up. But uh, you know, that could be one thing that you just can't afford those mistakes when you're playing the Dodgers in the playoffs. Right. That it's definitely something, I mean, it's something we talked about, um, a couple of weeks ago, right before he got hurt with the, uh, the errors and the, the fielding being an issue, at least, uh, to start the season. And, you know, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that as the season goes on. And, and you're right. I don't think if, uh, you know, the Padres get into the postseason here and Tatis is out there in the late innings and his spots not coming due for, you know, the rest of the game and they've got a one run lead. Do they leave him in or do they just go defensive? Yeah, it'd way? be. I mean, it's one of those, uh, I, I guess in some regards, it, uh, it, it, uh, it kind of goes back to the old, the old NBA and Hack-A-Shack where uh, you just gave this electric athlete, this huge extension. What's the, what's the optics of taking out or even shifting over uh, your most electric athlete um, in the big moments? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that, uh, you really want getting in people, you know, getting people too, too deep in their head. Uh, you know, we don't need, we don't need a talent like Fernando Tatis Jr. to go the road of Chuck Knobloch and start getting the yips and unable to make a throw from second base because uh, he is, uh, he's being overanalyzed by about 16 different sports shrinks. Um, that's definitely not, not, not the road you want to go down. So you do got to be careful about how you handle uh you know, these egos, especially when you're talking about uh, a transcendent talent that also happens to, 
you know, not be too much above the drinking age. So, so we'll see, we'll see how they handle it. Um, but yeah, if he doesn't clean things up, it, it's a real struggle for me to think that uh, he's going to be manning shortstop in the playoffs uh, where even to get there, if they're not able to, to eclipse the Dodgers for the division, they're going to be in a short game series where one error from your, the face of your franchise could mean you go home before you get a chance to play in a longer playoff series. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's definitely something we'll keep an eye on as the season goes on. Uh, any final thoughts on this series? No, it was a it was a great series. I don't. I think we covered uh, most of the most of the tidbits. Uh, can't wait for round two. All right. Well, we'll uh, come back next week. Maybe this is uh, Dennis's last week of freedom before he gets married. So, as if time uh, yeah. allows, <laughs> if time allows, we'll be back next week. If not, we'll be back in two weeks. Um, but Dennis, congratulations on your upcoming marriage. And, uh, thank you, sir. Thank you. And also my condolences. <laughs> As well. Thank you. <laughs> All right. For us over here at Studs and Duds, uh, for uh, Dennis, this is Adam, and we'll see you next week.